this podcast and the ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Let's pray together. Father, we're just so thankful for who you are, and we're so thankful for the opportunity to serve you and to worship you and to come together as a body of believers singing your praises, Father. I'm just so thankful for the opportunity to be here right now. Lord, I pray for the next little while as we study your words, you'd give us clarity, you'd give us understanding, Father. You'd help us to see very clearly what you're teaching, and I pray, Lord, that I would rightly divide the word of truth. And I pray, Lord, we take what we've learned, trans. Uh, transport it to our lives, Father. Transfer it to our thoughts and into our hearts and into all the things that we do. And Lord, I pray that we leave here changed, more transformed into your image, the image of Jesus Christ, your Son. And we'll give you all the praise and the honor and the glory for everything you're going to do. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, before I begin, just a little, a little note of business I need to take care of. I'm very excited uh, to tell you guys that after about seven months... And over 300 resumes, the adult search team believes they have found the man that God has called us to hire as our associate pastor. Now, we spent a lot of time looking. We spent a lot of time praying. Uh, we've, we spent a lot of time being upset. We just couldn't figure out what God was doing, right? You ever been there? God, this isn't working out like I thought it should work out. We were hoping this and hoping that. And God said, no, this is not the direction I want you to go. And said, I want you to go this way. And so Tuesday night, the search team voted unanimously to recommend to the church we call Randy Presley is our associate pastor. Randy is currently serving in Arkansas as a youth minister. He's been in ministry about 12 years, faithfully serving in, in a couple of different churches. He's got a degree from seminary. And one of the neat things that I really like about Randy, this was not really part of the job description, but something I'm really excited about based on kind of where we're going with our mission work. Randy has got extensive mission background. Randy, in his 12 years in ministry, he's been on, he said, between 20 and 25 international mission trips. He's been to Africa numerous times. He's been to South America. He's been to Central America. He's been to Europe. And he goes and he leads teams, which is just exciting for me because of what God's doing in our hearts and our minds right now with mission work here at Rosemont. So the team voted unanimously. I went that same night to the deacons meeting, shared the recommendation with the deacons. The deacons voted unanimously that we move forward with Randy. The staff is unanimous. They met Randy last week. I had a chance to talk with him and get to know him a little bit better. I've talked to Randy numerous times on the phone. I'm very comfortable with him. Really excited about what he brings to the table. So the only step left officially is for the church now to confirm the recommendation of the search team. So what that's going to look like is Randy and his family will be here next Sunday morning. I know it's a Memorial Day weekend, but it's the best time for us to bring him down. It's as quick as we could get him down based on the circumstances. He's going to drive down with his wife. He has three children. He'll be in all three services next Sunday. He'll get an opportunity to speak to you in the service, tell you a little bit about who he is, give you his testimony explain his call to ministry, and then after church next Sunday from 2 until 5 p.m., Randy will be in the fellowship hall with his wife. We're going to open it up for anybody that wants to show up and ask him questions. It's not going to be a, him on the stage and you in the audience. It's going to be kind of like a receiving line. He'll be there and to meet and greet people. I want you to introduce yourself and your family if you're interested. Ask him what you want to ask him. We want you to be comfortable with him to get to know him a little bit better. After that point, if you forgot to ask him something, call me, or if you have a question between now and then you want to ask me, just call me. Email me. I'll be happy to answer any question you may have about him. And then following next week's service, the following Sunday is June the 3rd. That's the week the VBS begins. On that Sunday, we'll ask you to confirm the recommendation of the search team. We'll do it in all three services. You'll come in. We'll give you a little ballot. You'll basically vote yes or no. Uh, I'm going to ask you as your pastor, and on behalf of this search team, you need to confirm this decision. We've spent months and months praying and kind of 
uh, balling up our fists sometimes in frustration, but we feel like this is a process God has led us on. We're very comfortable, and we all said that at some point in this process, there would be the guy that we just knew was the one we were supposed to hire. That's exactly what happened with Randy. We met him, we got to know him, we, got, we all sensed this is the man God's calling us to hire. So next Sunday you'll meet him. The following Sunday you'll be asked to confirm his nomination from the search team. And I'm going to ask you to confirm that so we can get Randy on board as quickly as possible. Get him down here serving and helping us to move forward. If you have any questions between now and then, feel free to ask me. Uh, you can call me, email me, my door's open. I want you to get as comfortable with him as you can. But after next Sunday you'll have a week to think about it, pray about it, reflect on it a little bit more. And the following Sunday, we'll vote. Okay? I want you guys to be in prayer for that. I am really excited about all the things going on here at church. I'm really excited about Randy and, and, and what he's going to bring to the table. I'm excited about VBS, which starts in just a couple of weeks. If you're uh, already serving in VBS, thank you. If you're not serving in VBS, there's a place for you. We're going to offer you that opportunity to teach. VBS is probably the biggest week for evangelism in our church every year. We'll have hundreds of kids coming here that week that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ, some of them. We'll get to share with them. We'll have a lot of kids who will accept Jesus Christ. You'll be praying about that, but I'm excited what God's doing with Randy. I'm excited what God's doing with VBS. I'm excited about what God's doing with mission work. I'm going to be preaching all summer on missions. I had a, a sermon series planned, and I began to prayer, prayerfully think through it and study and kind of work out the weeks and what text of Scripture I wanted to teach. And God said, Adam, I don't want you teaching that right now. I want you to teach about missions. So beginning on June the 17th, you're going you're gonna to really like what we're going to do up here on this set. We're going to do some really interesting things through the summer. You'll appreciate it when you see it. But we're going to preach all summer on missions. And then on August the 12th, we're going to take a missions offering. Now, I talked about that last week. I'm going to talk about it all through the summer. But I want you to know something. God is at work in our hearts. And he's at work in the lives of the people of this church involved in moving our church forward. And God is going to do something incredible on August the 12th. We said we're going to draw the line. From that moment forward, we'll have an intentional strategy from Rosemont Baptist Church to reach the nations for Jesus Christ. But I've already had somebody talk to me about this missions offering. And I've got a, a really big announcement that I want to make about this missions offering. But I'm not going to make it today. Cliffhanger. You have to come back, right? I'll just keep dragging it along until August the 12th. No, I won't do that. I'll give it to you pretty soon. But I want you to know, you're going to hear this and you're going to appreciate what God's doing in the lives of our people because He's at work. But as I started thinking this week a little bit, about all that God was doing and kind of reflecting on, on what's happening with our mission work and what's happening with Randy and what's happening with VBS and what's going to be happening over the summer. All the exciting things going on as, as, as we begin to kind of prepare our hearts for next year and for all God that has called us to do and all that God has called us to be. I started asking myself this very simple question. What hinders us from doing everything God has called us to do? What hinders us from becoming the men and women of God that He wants us to be? What hinders us from sharing our faith often? What hinders us from being that witness in the workplace? What hinders us from living our lives in such a way that bring honor and glory to God in all things we do? What hinders us from knowing Him and doing His will? And so as I started thinking about that and praying through what God would have me to preach, this passage of Scripture came into mind. In Psalm 51, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open there, is a very clear picture a very clear indication in David's life, as we'll talk about, about a path to righteousness. Now, there were things in David's life that hindered him from doing the work of God. There were things in his life that kept him from being the man of God that God wanted him to be. But Psalm 51 lays out a very clear picture of exactly what God called David to do. Now, you remember the story of David. You remember the story of David. David was a young shepherd boy. You remember he went and he killed Goliath. We're familiar with David and Goliath. 
Samuel came and anointed him as king of Israel. You probably remember the story. Samuel comes and he doesn't like any of David's brothers and he asks David's dad, you know, is this it? And his dad said, well, no, there's kind of a young one. He's out in the field. You're never going to choose him. That's the one God chose. God anointed David, brought him to become the king of Israel. But then David made a mistake in his life, as so many people do. You remember the story of David as he's walking out one night and he sees Bathsheba. You remember the story and he lusts after her. He eventually commits adultery. He lies and covers it up. Eventually he commits murder. And when David writes Psalm 51, he's writing it from the perspective of sinfulness in his life and a man who's been separated from the things of God. David has made mistakes in his life and he's suffering. He's angry. He's bitter. He's sorrowful for all that he's done. But most of all, he's away from the things that God has called him to do. This psalm, Psalm 51 represents a path back for David. It's a path of a man who has strayed from the things of God, and it's a path, very clearly, back to the righteousness that God calls him to live in. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. Before we delve into these passages of Scripture, I want to begin by reading Psalm 51, verse 12. Now, the reason I want to do this is because Psalm 51, 12, and 13 kind of represent the destination for us. If there's a path, where does that path lead? The path leads to Psalm 12 and Psalm 13 as we're going to look at. But it's a clear indication as we walk through this passage of Scripture of exactly where God wants David to be. Now, my family had the opportunity several months ago to go to Shaco Springs. How many of you kids are going to Central Kid? Anybody? Any kids in here? A few? Yep. A few? Any parents? Chaperones? A few? We've got like 70 or 80 going. I'm not sure where they all are. Maybe they're in the other service. We've got a lot going. They're going to Shaco Springs. They go over there every year, which is in Alabama, not too far from Aniston. And they go to Centrakid. Now, Shaco Springs is a huge campground. It's owned by the Alabama Baptist Association. But it's also available during the year if there's nothing going on for people just to go and stay in, like hotel rooms there. It's a really nice facility. So my family and I decided we wanted to go to Shaco Springs for just a couple days to relax, just to kind of get away. So we went. Shaco Springs is located very near the Talladega National Forest, so it's a beautiful area. Beautiful uh, wilderness area where you can hike and walk and see God's beauty. And we decided one day we want to go hiking. Now, I enjoy hiking. I like being in the woods. I like camping. But I was a little concerned having my young family walking through the woods, make sure that we weren't going to get lost. And so I decided to really rough it. I downloaded an app for my smartphone to take with me. That's roughing it, right? You go into the wilderness, you download an app on your smartphone. It was connected to my GPS and it provided a map. Everywhere I walked, I could follow the trail, right? So we get out of our van, and I set that thing. And I said, I want to use my van as the home base. And we started walking, right? And several hours later, we finished walking. We want to get back to the van. I just turned that thing back on, and it literally tells me to how to get back exactly where I started. It, it represented a kind of a map for us, a way back. Psalm 51 is a way back for David. You understand that? It's a map back. For those of us that have been separated from God for whatever reason, for those of us that are not living the life that God has called us to live, Psalm 51 represents a way back. Now here's where we're going. Look at Psalm 51, verse 12. This is where David's ultimately going to end up. Restore to me, this is David praying to God, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Verse 13. Then... I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Now, David has lost his way. David is sinful. He's done things he shouldn't do. He's made mistakes he should not have made, and he's been separated from God. And we look at David's life, 
And we realize all that God had done for David and all the things that God has given David and the, and the position that God had elevated David to. And we ask this question, David, how could you have been so dumb, right? How could you have made those mistakes? I mean, God had given you everything. He had chosen you. He had anointed you. He had placed you on the throne. He had given you all this power. And, and you, David, and all that power and all the glory and all the things that God had done for you, you make this stupid mistake and through the sinfulness of your life, you separate yourself from God. How could you do those things? And just as soon as I have that thought, God reminds me, Adam, you need to look in the mirror, right? Because what has God done for us? All the things that God has given us, all the blessings of life that God has shown us, and all the things that He showered upon us, and yet how many times do we make those same mistakes? How many times do we live our lives in such a way that don't bring honor and glory to God? And I just wonder how many of us have strayed from God. How many of us are away from where we should be? How many of us are kind of on the outside looking in, wishing we could get back to that place of righteousness, wishing we could get back to that place of close fellowship with Jesus Christ, wishing we could get back to that place where we live our lives for His glory and for His honor in all things? If that's you, if you're that person, David provides for us a map, a very clear passage back to the fellowship of God, and I want to look at how he does it. Now look at Psalm 51, verse 1. 12 and 13 are our destination. Let's begin in verse 1, and let's walk through this process together. This is David praying to God, Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Now let's stop there just for a second. David has separated himself from God. He's done things he shouldn't have done. He finds himself in a place that he doesn't want to be and he wants to get back. He wants to get back to that fellowship and that joy and that love that he once had with God, but he can't do it until he walks through these steps that he lists in Psalm 51. So the first truth, as we begin to talk about a path of righteousness back to the things of God, the first thing we notice David doing is he has a very keen awareness of his sin. David has an awareness of his sin. Now he says, God, I want you to restore the joy of salvation. I want you to give me a clean heart and I want you to, to work in my heart. But God, before that can happen, I need to understand my sinfulness. Now we see that David has got a clear picture of his sinfulness because he uses phrases that point to his sinfulness. He, he uses phrases like, blot out my transgressions. That indicates his sinfulness. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Against you I have sinned, O Lord. I have done evil in your sight. I was sinful at birth. So let's just go ahead and answer this question early on in this study. As we begin to think about all the things that hinder us from God, and we begin to ask the question, what keeps us from doing the will of God? There's a real simple answer in Psalm 51. It's sin, right? The thing that hinders us from doing everything that God has called us to do is sin. Now we begin to think about sin. And we begin to think about what sin means in our lives. And we begin to think about what sin looks like in, in our lives. And here's our first natural response to sin. We want to hide it, right? We want to hide it. Now that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You remember Adam and Eve, they sinned. And what's the first thing they did? You remember they hid? 
So God's walking in the cool of the day. He has to call them out. Adam, where are you? He knew where they were, of course. But they were hiding. Why? Because they were ashamed of their sin. So here's what we do. We, we hide our sin. Or maybe we minimize our sin. Or we kind of sweep our sin under the rug. Or we, we turn a blind eye to sin. Or we, we justify our sin. And we say something like this. Well, it's just that one time. Or I'm going to stop doing that. Or I know I shouldn't be thinking those thoughts. Or I know I shouldn't be doing that at work. Or I know I shouldn't be saying those things or acting that way towards that person. I know I shouldn't do those things. But I'm just going to kind of ignore it, right? I'm going to put it in a box and I'm going to pretend like it doesn't happen. If nobody knows about it, it doesn't really count anyway, right? And so we minimize sin and we justify sin. And we begin to ask ourselves the question as we take a look at Psalm 51. Why do we do that? Why do we justify our sin? Why do we minimize our sin? Why do we ignore our sin? I think there's a real clear teaching in Scripture. The reason we do that is because we don't understand that sin can utterly destroy our lives, right? We know there are bad things in life that we don't get close to, and we stay away from those things because we're afraid of them. We don't get close to things that we know can hurt us and harm us because we know the danger they pose to our lives, right? We don't get close to those things because they know they can harm us and they can hurt us. But see, here's what we do with sin. We don't really understand what it can do to our lives. We don't really understand the damage that it can cause in our families and in our hearts. We don't understand how it can utterly destroy everything we have. And so we get all real close to sin, don't we? And sometimes we cozy up to it and we, we ignore it and we minimize it and we sweep it under the rug because we don't understand exactly what it can do. See, David's not like that. David understands in Psalm 51 exactly what sin will do in his heart. Now, I want to give you very quickly three biblical truths about sin. Now, you say, Adam, you're, you're really hammering on sin. Well, I'm not going to hammer on sin this morning. It's in this text. But I don't want to hammer on sin, and I don't have to hammer on sin because the Holy Spirit can handle that, right? It's not my job to convict you. It's my job to teach the Scripture, and that's what I'm doing. And here it is. Now, here are three very clear truths about sin found in the Bible. Number one, sin displeases God. In the context of David's life, in 2 Samuel 11, verses 26 and 27, here's what it says. When Uriah's wife, now that's Bathsheba. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. Now listen. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You understand that? God does not look favorably upon the sin in our lives. Secondly, God punishes sin. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says this, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Now, let's be very clear about this. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then Jesus has taken the wrath of the Father for you. Your sins are ultimately forgiven on the cross. But here's what God will do if you're a believer and there's sin in your life. He will disciple you. He will chastise you, punish you, use whatever words you want to use to get you back on track. You say, well, that's awfully harsh. Well, here's the analogy. If your kid was standing in the middle of the road and a truck was bearing down about to hit your kid, what would you do? Anything and everything you could to get that kid off the road. If you had to shove him as hard as you could to the ditch and it broke your child's arm but saved his life, you'd be happy that you did it, wouldn't you? And everybody else would be happy. Wow, I'm so glad you were able to. You got there at the last second, right? But yet when God takes us and he chastises and changes us and punishes us in some ways for our sin, we want to get angry about that. It's because we don't understand what sin does to our life. It will utterly destroy us. 
And so God displeased with our sin. He punishes our sin. And thirdly, sin separates us from God and leads us ultimately to death. Now here's a clear teaching of Scripture. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. Now if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you ask for forgiveness of those sins, you will be saved. But if you live a life separated from Jesus Christ, then that sin will ultimately lead you to death and separation eternally from Jesus Christ. That's what sin does. Now, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you accept that forgiveness, He steps into your heart and He takes the place for your sins and He takes the punishment of the Father. If you live in sin at that point, you're causing spiritual death in your life. You're leading yourself to a point that that gets outside of the realm of God's will and you're putting blockades and hindrances and things in your path that will keep you from doing the will of God. But here's the real scary thing about sin in our lives. Sin doesn't just show up one day and put a banner on the front door and say, hey, I'm about to ruin your life, right? If you, if you do this, I'm going to wreck everything, right? I mean, you see these people that, that have made these mistakes, no matter what, you can pick. We all know these people that are in places maybe they don't want to be or they shouldn't be. None of those people started out by thinking, I think today I'm going to start the first step of ruining my life. Nobody does that, right? Nobody thinks today's going to be the beginning of the end for me, and I just can't wait because in 11 years, I'm going to give everything. I'm just going to give it all up. Nobody begins like that. See, instead, sin comes in, and it creeps in, and it it looks very enticing to us, doesn't it? And it looks fun, and it looks exciting, but it begins to erode away. And slowly but surely, it will destroy everything we have if left unchecked. When I was in high school, we used to do these experiments. And we would do this thing called a titration. And I don't know if you've ever heard of titration, but it's this long metal tube. And in this metal tube, we would put acids and, and bases and mix things together and you know, see what we could come up with. And we follow directions most of the time, right? But one of these times, we're putting this acid in this titration filter. And I guess we didn't have it closed properly because some of the acid ran out and dripped onto my shoe. Now, I'm in high school, and I didn't know it happened at the time. And class is over, and I look down, and there's a spot on my shoe. Well, I didn't think anything about it. I thought, you know, something had spilled on my shoe. Not a big deal. It's a little wet spot. It'll probably dry on its own. Well, a few hours later, I, I noticed that the shoe, uh, the little spot on the shoe had grown a little bit, right? Now, they were leather shoes, Sebagos, right? You remember, how many wore Sebagos, right? Yeah, I see the smiles. There it is, right? Sebagos, yeah. So there's Sebagos, leather. There's a, there's a, the, 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 the spill has kind of expanded a little bit. Well, I don't know what's going on. So I get home, I change shoes, didn't think anything about it. I get up the next morning to put those Sebagos on. There's a hole in my shoe. That acid had literally burned a hole all the way through that leather. And I could put my finger through my shoe and touch the bottom part of my shoe. Burned all the way through it. See, that's kind of what sin does in our life. It's slow. And we don't necessarily recognize it. And we don't necessarily understand it. But one day we wake up and it's just burned a hole in our hearts. And it's eaten away at who we are, and it's eaten away at our lives. See, David understands very clearly what sin did in his heart and what sin did in his life. And he knows he's got to deal with his sinfulness. So how does he do, how does he do it? Let's move forward. Look at verse 7. He recognizes, first of all, the sinfulness. Now look at what it is in verse 7. Cleanse me, speaking to God again, with hyssop. Now that's just a branch that they would literally dip in the water and sprinkle in the Old Testament, they would dip it in the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkle, and it would provide cleanliness. It was a sacrificial type cleanliness at the altar. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain it. So David recognizes and has an awareness of his sin first as we talk about this path back to righteousness. The first thing is he's aware of his sins. The second thing we notice in this passage of Scripture is that he seeks the forgiveness of his sin. David is aware of his sin first. Secondly, he seeks forgiveness of his sin. Now, it's interesting to me what David does here because he intermingles this idea of his sinfulness with the same time the mercy and the grace of God. He, he sees them together. And so he speaks about his sin, but at the same time he says, Lord, have mercy on me. Show me your unfailing love according to your great compassion. Blood out my transgressions. So it's so interesting to me that David understands this balance. We are sinful. And God does not like sin and can't look upon sin. But at the same time, the flip side of that coin, the other side of that equation, is God's love and God's mercy and God's grace. And so no matter, no matter where we've been, no matter what that sin looks like over here on this side, David is clear and the Bible is clear that in the midst of that sin, God offers us forgiveness. He offers us grace. He offers us mercy and he offers us peace. And so David recognizes his sinfulness He recognizes the need to be cleansed and he says in verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. David understands the need for repentance. Now, now, everybody in this room is going to fall into one of two categories right now. Category number one, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Your sins have been forgiven. Maybe you've gone astray and you need to find that path back. Or category two, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're still searching. Maybe you've got questions. Maybe it's not something you've interested, you're interested in doing. But no matter what side of this equation you stand on, no matter which one of these two boxes you fit into, the Bible teaches very clearly that there's forgiveness for our sins. And the Bible teaches very clearly that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, salvation comes only through Jesus Christ. And David understands if I'm going to get to that point, if I'm going to find that path back to who God is in my life, I've got to see my sinfulness And I've got to be forgiven. Now let's reverse engineer this just for a second. David recognizes his sinfulness. He recognizes that because of his sinfulness, he's lost his joy in salvation. He's also lost his ability and his desire to witness and to share his faith with others. That's what Psalm 51 says. So let's let's put this in reverse just for a second. If we're over here on this side, and we've lost our joy in salvation... And we've lost our desire to witness and our desire to share and our desire to tell other people about Jesus Christ. If we walk back through this passage of Scripture, we have to see clearly that the reason we've lost our joy and the reason we've lost our desire to share is what? Sinfulness in our life, right? It's the barrier that keeps us from doing what God has called us to do. And so if we recognize that in our lives, we need to begin to seek that forgiveness. God, I don't don't know. I've sinned. I've made mistakes. I've strayed from you. Forgive me. Forgive me for my sins, Lord. Give me that joy of salvation back. Give me that desire again to to witness and to share my faith with you. But I love what David does here in verse 8. See, he kind of moves beyond just forgiveness. He says, God, I've I've failed you. I've made mistakes. I recognize my mistakes. I recognize that they're sin. I recognize they separate me from you. I want you to forgive me of those things. But he takes a step beyond that in verse 8. I'm going to read them again. I want you to listen to what David says. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. There's some excitement there. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. 
And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. There's this real sense in here of not only in the midst of this pain and this agony and this turmoil and this forgiveness, but David moves beyond it to understand the joy of salvation and the excitement that can be present in the life of a believer who loves Jesus Christ and seeks Jesus Christ with all of his heart. And so we begin to see this this process, this path to righteousness, the recognition of sin, the forgiveness of sin, the prayer that God would do something in our hearts to renew our joy, to renew our excitement, to renew our love for him. But see, here's what so many believers do with forgiveness. They see their forgiveness almost as fire insurance, right? So as long as I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I'm going to kind of check that off the list and then I'm good. I'm good. One of these days I'm going to make it to heaven. Between now and there, you know, eh, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm not really that concerned about it. I just know I'm taken care of when it's all said and done. But here's the problem with that. God has so much more for us than just that final destination. See, some of us think about heaven as just kind of that final place in the sky, that final resting place in the sky. And one day if I accept Jesus, I'm going to get there. And that's true. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, one day you will be in heaven with him for eternity. But here's the problem. God has so much more for us in the meantime. God wants us to experience new life. He wants us to experience that joy and experience that love and experience that grace. When I was in high school, my family had the opportunity to go to Wyoming on vacation. How many of you guys have been to Yellowstone, Grand Teton, that area? Beautiful country. How many of you have driven out there from here? Look at that, a few. Okay, well, here's what my dad said to our family all those years ago in high school. He said, we're going to go to the Grand Teton National Park, Yellowstone National Park, and we're going to drive, right? Now, as a kid, I'm thinking, you have got to be, drive? How far is that, Dad? It took us four days. Now, let me tell you, kids, you guys that are teenagers, young kids, this is before all the cool stuff, you know, all the videos and, and vans. We didn't have that, right? Here's what I had to take with me. I had one of those little, foot, if you're a little bit older, you'll appreciate this. I had one of those little football games that had the little red lines. Those were the players. You remember that? Do, 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 broom. He gets tackled. You start over. Do, 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 broom. He gets tackled. That was it, right? That was my level of enjoyment for four straight days in a van with my sister and my mom and dad, right? So as a kid, I didn't quite appreciate it as much as I do now. But here's what my dad understood. My dad understood that there was a destination we had to arrive at. We're going to get there one of these days. But he understood instead of just going as fast as we can and getting there as quick as we can or maybe just flying out there, and that's fine, maybe... You've flown, and that's a great way to get there. But my dad wanted us to experience the journey along the way, right? And so I saw this country. I mean, we drove one way out there, and my dad was intentional. We drove a different way home. Why? So we could see other stuff. The second time we went, we went a different way, and we drove home another way. Why? So we could see other stuff. He understood the importance of the destination. We were going to eventually get there. But he also understood the importance of the journey, right? You see, the destination was amazing, but the journey made that destination so much richer. That's kind of our walk with Jesus Christ. There is a destination. One day we're going to get to heaven. But God says there's a journey along the way. And I want you to experience this love. And I want you to experience this renewal. And I want you to experience this excitement. And I want you to experience in such a way that it does incredible things through your heart and your cup begins to overflow because you love Christ so much and you're so excited about the things that he's doing in your life that you can't help but be excited around all those people that see you and know who you are. Now look at what David does. Look at verse 13 as we kind of wind this down this morning. David has recognized his sinfulness. He has asked for the forgiveness of his sins. He's prayed beyond forgiveness that God would give him that joy and would renew his heart. And now look at what he does in verse 13. Look at how verse 13 begins. 
Then, he says, after I've recognized my sinfulness, after I've prayed for forgiveness, after I've prayed that God would renew my heart, renew my joy, then, he says, after all those things have happened, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. The third thing we notice in this passage of Scripture, not only does he recognize his sin, not only does he pray for forgiveness, but number three, in our renewal, we lead sinners to God. Isn't that interesting? In our renewal, we lead sinners to God. David says, if you'll do these things, then, God, I will teach transgressors your ways so that the sinners will turn back to you. Now, see, our calling in life is Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It's the Great Commission. You'll be very familiar with it. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now you can practice this in LaGrange. You can practice this elsewhere in our country. You can practice this in a missions trip overseas somewhere else in the world. But here's the point. You've got to practice it somewhere. Right? God says you need to be sharing your faith. You need to be making disciples of all nations. And David says, God, if you'll forgive me, if you'll renew my heart, if you'll renew my joy, if you'll renew my excitement, then I'll be able to teach transgressors your ways and the sinners will turn back to you. It's kind of this idea that excitement breeds more excitement. So as we begin to think through our lives and begin to think through all all that God has done for us and begin to think about the, the barriers that keep us from seeking Christ and the barriers that keep us from following Him. And we think about this path to righteousness. We understand that God will do incredible things through our hearts in our time of renewal. He'll give us the ability to share Christ with others and lead sinners back to God. I've had some very interesting conversations this week with different people and, and people are concerned about the, the direction of the country and the economy, and you know, everybody's got a concern about so many things going on in our country. And the discussions I have with people always end up something like this. We need revival. That's what they say. We need revival in our country. I absolutely 100% agree that we need revival in our country. Well, let's think through this just for a second. Based on what Psalm 51 teaches, and based on what so many other scriptural teachings so clearly tell us in the Bible, where do you think revival is going to have to start? Right here. Right? David says, I was sinful and I needed to be forgiven. I need you, God, to restore my heart and restore my mind and to cleanse me and to make me whiter than snow. Revival occurs when the people of God repent from their waywardness and turn back to the Lord. That's the simple model. So we, we get all mad because everybody else in the country is not doing what they're supposed to. I can't believe those people are doing this, and I can't believe those people are doing that. I, we, we get all mad about all these sins, and yet we fail to look at our own lives and the sinfulness in our own hearts, don't we? It's easy for us to talk about the sins of the world, and we won't look in the mirror and talk about the sins of our lives. David understood this. David understood his path to righteousness. David understood how to get back to God, and it began by falling on his knees, recognizing his sinfulness, begging God to forgive him and then praying that God would give him back his joy and salvation. When that happened, he was able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everybody he knew. And we'll do the same thing. If we seek that path back to God and, and find him where he may be found, we could be the catalyst that God uses to bring revival to our country. And I just wonder this. If we would take this passage in Psalm 51, if we would model it in our lives, I wonder what would happen in our church in our county, 
in our region, and in our world. You see, here's the thing we have to understand. God wants to do incredible things in our hearts. He wants us to be in close fellowship with Him, and He wants to use us in mighty and powerful ways. The only thing standing between you and God's will is the sin in your life. Are you going to let God do the things He wants to do in and through you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the clear teaching of Scripture, Lord. We thank you for Psalm 51 and for what it means in our hearts, Lord. I thank you for what it means in my heart. Convict us of the areas, Father, that we've failed you. Bring us back to you, Lord. Bring us back very clearly to a place of forgiveness and peace, Lord. We just rest. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We invite you to visit our campus at 3794 Hamilton Road in LaGrange, Georgia. Or visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. God bless you.